You are listening to Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks on Studio 41 Radio, the Mavs YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere else on the internet, wherever you are in the great wide world. I hope you are having a fantastic day, morning, noon, night. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me all the way from Ljubljana, Slovenia, a stats guru, a basketball expert, authority, I don't know how you want to describe yourself. He's the great Istok Franco. I'm just a regular guy on the Twitter. <laughs> just one of the guys. <laughs> just a guy online. I, I don't know about the, the guru, but trying to use the stats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, thank you for being here, man. What are you in town for? Why, why are you in Dallas? Just hanging out? Catching some sun? What's the deal? Yeah. Catching sun and some games. So came here to watch some basketball, Mavs basketball. So I'm in town for... A little bit more than 10 days and watched two games already. First was the Lakers on Sunday, yesterday's game, and then the next two are Philadelphia and Phoenix, hopefully. The big homestand, man. Now, you came to Dallas last year, and if memory serves, they did very well while you were here. Now, so far, not so good. You got to turn it around a little bit. It's a proof that <laughs> it's not, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> you don't got the magic touch? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Oh, no. Well, we're going to try and figure out how to fix this thing. So, uh, J-Kid, if you're out there watching, uh, Luca, Kyrie, if you're out there watching, just pay attention. Don't go anywhere. Don't change the dial because we're going to dive into all the issues ailing this team and how the maps can turn it around, hopefully very soon. Uh, this is a pivotal homestand. It's a six-game homestand. You don't get many of those. We recorded on Wednesday. After the Mavs fall to the Indiana Pacers, the Mavs 1-2 and two on the homestand so far. So maybe they'll turn it around against Philly and against Phoenix uh, before things get tough again on the road and against Utah too, which suddenly now is a very important game in the standings. But um, is talk just generally right now, defense is what is ailing the Mavs. It is, it is very, very tough for them to get stops. And there's two big reasons why, or two big areas of focus why it is a struggle for them to get stops right now. Now let's go one right after the other. And let's start with transition defense. In the open floor, especially against the Pacers, which if you read your game preview on Twitter, uh, Istok always has a game preview that is very, very good and very informative. You were on it, man. You said the Pacers want to run. They want to run, run, run. And same with the Lakers. LeBron, AD in the open floor, they're a very dangerous team. And the Mavs just for whatever reason, have not been able to get stops in the open floor. Yeah, exactly. And what I wrote on Twitter is also, it was interesting not only on the defense side, but also on the offensive side. Because for years, Rick Carlisle's team have been the slowest in the NBA. And now they morphed into the fastest and uh, the best team in transition. Yeah. And yesterday, even they scored less less points than usual in transition. But I think they still scored 20 to, Mav- to Mavericks 4. And in a two-point game, it's it's that's your ball game so that was a problem and it's been a problem again similar problem against the lakers there was a problem before in the game against sacramento minnesota so this is one area of the defense that they need to fix um hopefully because they were very good transition team last year so that was uh, that's surprising and this is uh, like you said a big reason in you have like these big swings they had it, uh, I think, uh, in game against Indiana at the end of each quarter, like uh, six-point swings. 
when you miss a layup or gets blocked on one side and the other po- uh, the other team take it all the way down yeah like there was f- that play right at the end of the first quarter Halliburton had four seconds yeah and got coast to coast for a layup right yeah. at the right at the end and you said they were they were good at controlling the tempo last year they were good at controlling the tempo this year yeah we got the chart showing up if you're on YouTube the Mavs they typically do a very good job you know they, they don't necessarily push the tempo on offense but they do a very good job of controlling the tempo on defense or have yeah. you know the last couple of years but for whatever reason this year it just has not been the case opponents are scoring very efficiently in the open floor and very often in the open floor too yeah and i think partially it's a lot of changes so you know, rotations yeah, new guys in the rotation we see now new faces with holiday with maxi back uh, they were experimenting with injuries, playing uh, some end of the bench guys. Then Christian Wood was starting. So there is a lot of moving pieces, I think. And I think for tr- in transition, it's mostly communication and focus and effort. So a lot of is that. Uh, so hopefully now with uh, getting Max back, they, they are. This is one thing that's easier, I think, in my opinion, an easier f- issue to fix than a lot of the other issues on defense that we'll probably talk about. Yeah. I think one huge problem that they're facing now, if, if you're watching on YouTube, you saw the, the highlight reel that, uh, that, that we just showed a lot of times Mavs position, possessions on offense end with a guy in either corner. Now, typically that's going to be Reggie Bullock, Justin Holiday, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway Jr., your best athletes on the team. And generally, you know, with the exception of Tim, I guess, the guys that are going to be guarding the other yeah. team's best player. Also, with Dwight Powell on the floor, or sometimes even Christian Wood or JaVale McGee, that guy's going to be rolling to the rim. And then also, you got Luka or Kyrie driving to the basket as well. So you're ending a possession, a shot goes up with four guys like below the free throw line, and maybe one guy at the top of the arc, sometimes two, but maybe one, which means if the other team gets the rebound and the Mavs with Dwight on the floor are, are an inadequate offensive rebounding team, but whenever he's out of the game, they're not very good at getting their own second chances, that means it is just mathematically evident. It's going to be like a three-on-one or a four-on-one the other way. And so these guys in the corner that are your best athletes, that are your best defenders, have the most ground to cover too. So not only is it about effort, but it's also like tactically, whenever you space the floor that way on offense, it's great because you're going to get a lot of really good looks. The Mavs lead the league in corner three attempts, and I think corner three makes, and they're like top five or top ten in corner three percentage. But it also means that whenever you miss, it's going to be a fast break almost every single time, or at least an imbalance like three on two. Yeah, and like you said, Luca's running the ball a lot, and so he's putting pressure on the defense. But then when it doesn't work out, often we see him, I don't know, hold down, and then try <laughs> slowly trying to get back. So they are playing five on four as well. So I think, yeah, there, is a, there are issues there. Um, one of the challenges for the Mavericks, like you said, it's also balancing how much you crash the boards because they are not a good offensive rebounding team. But yeah, they are one very of your best ones, Finney Smith, you just yeah, traded. Yeah. And they are very good half-court offense, so it makes sense to get more chances. Typically, they are more conservative in when it comes to crashing the glass. But uh, again, in the game in Indiana, there were some, some possessions when uh, Josh Green crashed the glass and he got some huge athletic rebounds. Yeah. But when it doesn't work out, then it means again your the best athletic defenders are not back in transition. So, and it's sometimes it's also, as we will talk in for other is, uh, issues on defense, it's also lack of size. So we're gonna go uh, and uh, 
So when you go back in transition and you play, I don't know, against Harley Jr., or Kyrie, or Luca, it's uh, they're not the biggest or the let's say the most athletic defenders. Uh, so then sometimes they have issues uh, just stopping uh, the drive and in uh, the transition. Yeah, yeah. Now the the last thing on this, you had a tweet on Wednesday morning after that Mavs Pacers game. Um, for those who don't know, obviously it's much easier to score in transition or on the yeah. fast break than it is in half court because generally you got a two on one or a three on two or a four on two or whatever, you're getting a dunk or an open three. Shots that you don't want to allow as the defense. When you're playing half court defense, this year the Mavs have been, believe it or not, pretty good. Still it, the best in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> in half court offense. Well, half court offense, yeah. yeah, they're incredible. But even half court defense, like, like following okay. a made shot, they're a top half defense, okay. which. Okay, no one's going to raise a banner for being like the 14th best team, but that's still better than being the worst, and they're one of the worst defenses following a miss, following a turnover, following a missed free throw. Um, but even against the Pacers and against the Lakers, where it felt like the Mavs just could not get stops to save their lives, they were really good in the half court in those games. And so like, it, it really is truly a matter of how do you limit transition offense because against the Pacers, their defense was like 10 points better in the half court than it was in the open floor. Yeah, it's and it's different things. Uh, like you said, typically Dallas will win the half court offense because they have the best half, or half court offense in the NBA. And like you said, half court defense after a made shot is not that bad. But transition defense is one thing when you win on the margins. The other ones are putbacks, you know, and uh, offensive rebounds. And this is in the Lakers game that really killed them. Yeah? So uh, this is a challenge that they have currently, especially with the current roster uh, after the Kyrie trade. They added even more offense in the calf court, but they removed a Dodo, so a good defender. And also, let's say, he was undersized for a four, but he was much bigger than the, let's say, the guys that are playing at the four spot now. So they went even smaller. You can't measure heart, this talk. <laughs> Dorian has an eight foot tall heart. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a, a really good uh, offensive rebounder and a really good guy at boxing out. And yeah, yeah. if you go back and watch a lot of Jared Vanderbilt's putbacks in that yeah, Lakers yeah. game, there wasn't a lot of that going on. Um, all right, let's change gears to maybe you force a tough shot, but you get a little. A little too excited, you get a little too physical, and you commit a foul. Or my ultimate pet peeve, you get beat on defense, the guy's gonna lay it in, and you just take a swipe at him because you're mad, and it turns it into an and one. Against the Pacers, Indiana took 40 free throws, including, I believe, 26 in the first half. The Lakers had a ton of free throws too, and that's been a theme really all year long. If you go back to, well, if you look at today's, Free throw, uh, free throw rate. So opponents' free throw attempts per shot taken. The Mavs are the 30th ranked team in the NBA, and it's been that way for like three or four months now. They just they have been fouling ever since the start of December. They've just really, really been fouling a lot. And you know, again, they're turning good contests into two free throws. The they fouled Buddy Hield shooting a three twice in the first quarter. I mean, just there's like fouls that you should never commit, but then there's also like man, just like tuck your arm in a little bit more, just go straight up instead of coming down. Like some of it is discipline. Some of it is just like making just very obvious mistakes. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, Dallas is the last in the league. It's opponent foul rate. So worse than teams like Houston, San Antonio, who are really bad on defense. Not good. <laughs> yeah. And it shows, I think, some of the structural problems of the defense. It's, I think in a way it's connected. There are two things. So the first thing is the structural part is they are 
all year long. I think they have a lot of problems containing the drive. So I think Dallas is second in the league allowing uh, drives per 100 possessions in the NBA. And that's an issue that's happening on the perimeter. Yeah, that's exactly. Not, so it starts with the, the perimeter breakdowns, just putting pressure on the ball. And then they compensate by rotating, trying to rotate, trying to help with fouling. So these are like a bad combination. So this is one thing. Uh, as we saw in the Indiana game, before in the Sacramento game, struggle with pick and roll defense with guys like Halliburton, like Hot Hawks. And so this is, I think that high foul rate is a consequence of defensive breakdown, so controlling the drive. But there is the other aspect, like you said, and this was evident uh, in the Indiana game, is the, just the mental part. So there was a lot of fouls where you're, if you're, even if you're fouling, then it means you have to be aggressive. You have to force turnovers, and they're not doing that. So a lot of fouls were either off-ball, or they were like offensive turnovers, uh, bad screens. So you made a lot of yeah, illegal screens. Exactly. And so Indiana was in the bonus old game. And then it's really hard. It puts even more pressure on playing good defense because you know every mistake is going to be two, uh, two free throws. Yeah. So it's like uh, a cycle, a loop that's hard to get out of it. Yeah, it's tough too with the with the moving screens because, you know, it's unavoidable. In the Indiana game in the fourth quarter, Christian Wood committed two of them in like a minute. Okay, now part of that I can uh, I can appreciate the effort on there and the thought process on those plays because Wood for a while has been slipping screens like almost exclusively, and there was a moment in the Lakers game where Wood slipped a screen and Luca kind of like after the play was over looked at him and kind of said some words. And from that, from that point on, the rest of the game, Wood set rock-solid screens. And he was trying to do the same thing in the Pacers game, but you know, he and Reggie Bullock and sometimes Dwight Powell commit a lot of those moving ones, which is tough because Luka needs that really solid contact to get going. And uh, you, just can't, you just can't commit all those fouls because those fouls become turnovers. Uh, and then on the defensive end, you, know, you reach or whatever, you're out of position. It's, it's tough. And I think you know, there's... The Mavs weren't really doubling anybody on Indiana, um, but they did double Anthony Davis a lot. They did double like Kawhi Leonard a lot, Trey Young but a even, lot. Even not doubling, so for example, against Indiana, and it's again consequence of playing small. So they struggle to contain Halliburton pick and roll with Miles Turner. Yeah. So sometimes they showed two on the ball, but sometimes they switched. So it was like Powell or Maxi switch on him. But then it was like just off-ball foul, like Reggie Bullock fighting for position against Turner. Grabbing. So grabbing. So there either have to be disciplines, but also it's a problem of lack of size. So yeah. I think that's a problem. And I think this is, we see also with different rotation changes trying. I think J-Kid is trying to find this defensive identity and currently just not there. Yeah? So like I said, you're not aggressive on ball. You're not preventing the drive, but you're fouling a lot. So it's either you play conservative and try to limit the foul, or you try to be much more aggressive, much more scrambling, rotating. And partially it was personnel and circumstances that we saw this year with injuries, with the trade. And now I think last we saw some positive things last night, I think, uh, or in the game in, against Indiana, is it makes it back. So he made some, even in his first big game back, he made some good plays, some blocks good rotations in the pick and roll, and I think that is maybe a building block for the future for the defense. Yeah, yeah we'll talk more about Maxi in the next segment along with the, the Luka Kyrie dynamic and yeah. you know progress or uh, incomplete work still in, in that department. But um, they, 
they have double teamed. Like I think back, you know, let's go back to the beginning of December. They beat the Nuggets in Denver. They did such a good job against Giannis, you know, and, and Maxi was vital in that in that Bucks game. But you know, they doubled Jokic all night to force the Nuggets into a lot of turnovers. And and what you were saying is you you need to do one of two things. You either need to crank up the aggression a whole lot yep. or play like way more conservatively and don't foul at all. But what you can't do is kind of be stuck in the middle where you're playing aggressive and fouling a lot, but still not really forcing turnovers, or you're playing conservative but still fouling a whole lot. And it's kind of like they, they just can't really strike that balance because you go back to that Clippers game, for example, in Dallas, they're doubling Kawhi the whole time. The Clippers get hot from three, but they still ended up shooting like 31 free throws in that game or so. And it's like you can't do both of those things. You, you can either be extreme foul or extreme like conservatism, but you can't do both of those things. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, I've been, the whole year has been a constant search for this balance. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it with rotation changes and uh, lineup changes. So I think a holiday is a try in that, in that regard, trying to get more length, more, more close out versatility. Uh, Josh Green has been good. But that's again a little bit of downside of losing Dodo is, he he didn't foul that much. You have some guys, even frankly, uh, Nilekina, Josh Green, Reggie Bullock this year. They have like all career high foul rates. A lot. So, Josh fouls so, a lot. Yeah, and some something is just is still he's in the third year. Is growing as this uh, defensive responsibility. So uh, last night he had a pos- uh, against Indiana. He had a possession where. They were up in the bonus, 45 seconds left, I think, the fourth quarter, and he committed a foul, like intentional foul, on Tyler Harleburton in two-for-one situation, and it's like fouling, I don't know, a 90% free throw, just yeah. giving two free points. <laughs> For no reason. Yeah, yeah, giving two free, uh, free, uh, two free uh, points plus an extra possession at the end, which ended up in a free. So it was like a five-point sk- uh, swing at the end of the quarter. Yeah. So I think Josh is, I think, the most aggressive defender. He... His closeout ability is great, but I think he still has growth to be like a wet, to have these responsibilities of knowing when to be aggressive, how to control it, uh, to put uh, to be more balanced. Yeah. yeah, and that really came to the fore in the Lakers game because he did not start. Justin Holiday kind of got the surprise start. Um, Green comes off the bench, commits three fouls in the first yeah. quarter, and that has been at times for him this season an issue. Especially it feels like when he comes off the bench. I'd be curious to see what his foul rate is coming off the bench versus in the starting lineup. But is Holiday the starter now? Or is Green going to eventually return to the starting lineup? Because he was playing well for a while and then he fell off a bit and all of a sudden now Holiday's... Uh, your, your I, I mean, my opinion, Holiday wrong has, has been they need to start Green or play him more. I think high 25, 30 minutes. Because all of the other things that he does, like we said before, Athleticism, transition points on both sides. So he's like a rocket down court. So even if they don't run, he will run. So he will get like two. Yesterday, I think he had four of the four transition points that Dallas has. He had all four. (laughs) (laughs) Big game for him. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, and like I said, especially if they go to back to this scrambling mode, rotating more, which I think they will with Maxi back. I think he's the key because I think there is some data out there. He's the fastest. Fastest players in the NBA on defense. They measure wow. this uh, okay. speed distance on uh, speed on uh, defense, and I think he's the fastest guy. And you can see it. Yeah. Uh, so, and 
I mean, in a way, it's not like they have three all NBA defenders behind him. So, <laughs> so I think uh, Holiday <laughs> is good. I think this year Josh showed a great leap also on the defensive side. So I think they need to play him because long term he's the guy. If he evolves in a free, not only a three and D guy, but the second three and D 2.0 that we see now in the NBA. So it's not like a spot-up shooting guy, but a guy who can put it on the floor, who can drive, who can create. Yeah. And he showed great flashes this year. That's, I think, long-term one of the biggest benefits of this season that's been very up and down. Yeah, I mean, he is a, hopefully, you know, hopefully a, a pretty big piece of the future because the offense has been hurting for dynamicism all season long. Yeah. It, it even did last year. You know, they needed that other guy that could attack closeouts, make plays like you said. But defensively, He's got relatively good positional size as like a three, especially. Yeah. He can even guard some smaller fours or can guard like some bigger twos or whatever. Um, and he does have speed and he's got hops and he can get out in the open floor and at least put a little vertical pressure on the defense. Like someone's got to get back to guard him, which could make it a little easier going the other way. But yeah, he he represents something that they just don't really have otherwise, which is just freak athleticism and the ability to shoot the ball. Yeah, it will be interesting, like you said. Will they start holiday? I think Bullock has been struggling a little bit on ball. I think low buy rate, his highest this year. So, But he is the vet, so he knows this, like we said. I think it will trust him based on the playoffs. But I think they will try to try to figure out what's the best way. I think the move to put uh, Hardaway Jr. back to the bench was a good sign that they want to fix the defense. Now just figuring out what are the best two pieces uh, around. And the best pieces around, in particular, Luca and Kyrie. And coming up next, we will talk about those two guys. We'll talk about Maxi Kleba, maybe be a little more positive and happy on the other side of the break. <laughs> so don't go anywhere. It's Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys. Welcome back to Numbers on the Boards, part of Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak, Mavs YouTube channel, etc. Bobby Corella joined by Slovenia's very own Istok Franco. We just talked about some of the defense. We talked about some of the issues. Let's talk about some of the good things now. Let's yes. turn the page. <laughs> let's be a little happier. Let's, uh, you know, it's not all bad. The Mavs are still above 500, at least. Still in the playoff as of race. Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, they're still in the playoff race, at least as of Wednesday. Uh, so it's not all bad. Against Indiana, Maxi Kleber returned yes. pretty quickly, honestly, all things considered, after what was described as a rather, like, horrific injury. Uh, the details of hamstring tears are rather uh, gory, but Kleba came back and was very good, and the Mavs were very good when he was on the floor. They they lose by two. He was a team best plus nine, really not a surprise, but it's not so much like him, in my opinion. Like, Maxi himself is a good player, yes, but in, in my opinion, his value to the team and what he can bring to both ends of the floor is more about, like, what he kind of allows other people to do. Is that is that right, or am I just a, a doofus? No, no, it's uh, 100% right, and it's on both sides of the floor, yeah? So on offense, we saw last year playoffs, basically that was the lineup. Max at the five, killed it against Utah, played very good against Phoenix, so it allows them to really, and now with Kyrie and Luca in the mix, last year we had Jalen and Luca torching people in spaced out floor in the playoffs. Now you have this even better combo, let's say, in in the isolation, in scoring, uh, in spaced out floor with uh, Luca and Kyrie, and uh, Maxi unlocks that. 
on defensive end, we've talked in the first segment, it's rotating, being more aggressive, putting pressure on the ball. He's the, let's say, the best big on the roster that can show higher on screens, help, and then scramble, rotate, rotate in the back. So if they want to go back to any of that scrambling defense that was, let's say, what allowed them to succeed in the last year playoffs and the run that they made to the Western Conference Finals, he's the guy that unlocks that and probably the best rim protector, right? So on the roster. Mm -hmm. So a lot of on his plate. Yeah, yeah, no pressure. No pressure, man. Yeah. But like on offense, like you were saying, he can space the floor. And so whenever he's on the floor, Miles Turner suddenly is not camping out at the basket. He's 25 feet from the rim. He can kind of do some of the stuff that like Christian Wood does, right? Defensively, he's a better rim protector than both Wood and Dwight Powell. He's much more versatile, uh, mm -hmm. switchable than either of those guys too. And that's no knock against them, but um, you know, there's a, a huge segment of the Mavs fan base that wants Christian Wood to play more minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever Wood is the lone big, those lineups really, really struggle defensively. Uh, if it's like Wood with even like Markeith Morris at the four or Luca mm -hmm. nominally at the four, they struggle. But with Wood and Maxi, they're good. And if you look at the box score from the Pacers game, Maxi had the best plus minus on the team. Wood had the worst plus minus on the team. Now, single game plus minus doesn't really matter, but it is very telling because in the second half, Maxi was playing a, a minutes restriction, but in the second half, Kleba was the starting five, which means he and Wood were not on the floor together at all. And they closed with him. Again. Yeah. In the first half, Maxi and Wood played a little bit more, and their on off together has been really, really good this season. And so. You know, I don't know if eventually Maxi is the starting five, but if he is, is there a way that Maxi can play still with Wood so that Wood isn't the lone big because then he kind of gets overwhelmed maybe on defense and, and commits a lot of fouls? Like structurally, it does kind of change things if if you keep them separated versus if you if you play them together. So, uh, what do you think is the best way for Maxi to be deployed? Is it still play Dwight for five minutes, yank him, and put Maxi in, or, or what? I think. I think we'll see similar that we see last playoffs. So Powell will probably start play opening quarters. And these opening quarters typically have been very good with Dwight. So his numbers on off are always good. Yeah. You know? So they're okay. But then situationally, based on the matchups, based on the opponents and down the stretch, I think we'll go back to either Max as a five and play really small or depending on the game, Maybe pair him up with Wood, pair him up with somebody else. So I think that's that's what we will see because we've seen. I mean, we have a blueprint of two, three years. This is the best way, the best way that uh, that, uh, that Dallas can play both defensively and offensively. As for Wood, I think we can see it. It's a it's been a roller coaster all season, and I don't think that will change based on what we've seen the last uh, couple of games or couple of weeks. I don't think the coaching staff trusts him to be playing like key role in the rotation in terms of defensively but they deploy him and when he's on scoring it can be it couldn't it sometimes doesn't matter because he's so good at scoring on the other end but when he's struggling like in the Pacers game where there were like three four mental mistakes two offensive fouls I don't know uh, bad rotation then I think uh, his minutes will be very short in the Pacers game it was really tough anyway to keep Wood and Maxi together because the Pacers were playing so yeah. small too. I mean their power forward's like Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, he's like exactly. six five, you know. And there are a lot of teams that have a little more size. I'm assuming against Miami it'll be tough to roll out two bigs. 
uh, or against Philly, sorry, it'll be tough to roll out two bigs because Embiid is the one big and their mm. four is like Tobias Harris. Yeah. Um, or, I, I mean, I guess P.J. Tucker, but they're not like bangers. Um, but moving forward, I mean, against Utah, giant team, I would not be surprised to see Maxi Wood together. Yeah, um, I think I think we will see them. They will try it for sure. But like you said, especially in the playoffs, appendices that get smaller at the big position and yep. bigger at the small position, right? Yeah. So you, you play more wings, but less traditional bigs. So there is less matchups. And I think the challenge for Dallas is going to be, hopefully, they make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, they make the playoffs. And But the challenge in certain matchups that are very wing-dependent. So I think we saw them now, especially with Dorian gone, struggling to defend the LeBron type, the Kawhi type, the KD, <laughs> unfortunately, now. So this is going to be a challenge because I think, again, probably Kleber is the best one to put on those. Uh, and in some, some matchups that are good on bigs, for example, like you said, Denver, like maybe, I don't know, uh, uh, Memphis, Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. And those, c- those could be your first-round matchups yeah, at so this point. They you con- know. So I think it's going to be really matchup-dependent as well. Yeah, yeah, and then against a team like Sacramento, who they could also play at this point, they got the one big, yeah. and then it's a bunch of wings. Yeah. You know? and, and so that, that is going to be probably more the norm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think tendency for Dallas is to try to play smaller and uh, open it up on offense and then try to scramble and rotate on defense. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you, if you don't have maybe like the individual defensive personnel, just throw bodies and throw limbs at people and just make them make them pass until they hopefully make a mistake. It's pretty much the yeah the, the way to go. That's a challenge for us. Yeah, they don't have this elite defender like we saw in Indiana, Miles Turner, elite rim protector. Dallas still still scored tons of the rim. I think it's like forty percent uh, rim uh, frequency, but. He altered or changed, blocked four shots, and at the end of the game, you saw that hesitancy to attack the rim because Miles Turner was there. Dallas doesn't have that kind of a player. They also don't have a, let's say, elite on-ball defender. Jalen McDaniels. For example, like we said, Jalen McDaniels, Juru Holiday, somebody who is disrupting initial actions, which is a problem with this defense because it's like just go straight into your pick and roll in your set. So they don't have a guy who could be really disruptor there. So then it's kind of Try to trust on your scheme, trust on your rotations, trust on your backhand help. And here again, going back to your Wood-Maxi comparisons, I think, uh, let's say, uh, experience, skill, and just knowledge of the system on defense, Maxi is like really way better on that for uh, that backline rotations to make it work to help. Yeah. Um, talking about Turner's impact in the fourth quarter in that Pacers game, a guy that he blocked couple times in that game Kyrie Irving really trying to you know the Mavs were they were down like double digits most of that fourth quarter and so they were trying to just force the issue um and and Kyrie ended up shooting seven of 18 he missed the potential game winner uh took a step back three Mavs are down two whatever I I, we can talk about that another time (laughs) (laughs) I don't really care um but Kyrie after the game said basically I I forget exactly I'm gonna Mm -hmm. I'm gonna paraphrase but he said like I just want to win here so badly that I feel like I'm trying too hard at times. And I think that dynamic, Luca Kyrie dynamic, it's still a little bit awkward, which is logical. Yeah. I mean, these are the guys that are used to be the guy, and now all of a sudden, no training camp, yeah. n- all-star break, 
they get together to All-Star break. Yeah, is good. But Luka and Brunson, yeah. by comparison, had played together like yeah. 250 and it, games before. And Jalen talked openly a lot of times how much time it took him to figure out and adjust. Yeah. To be, or Spencer Dimity. He was very good at changing roles. He said, I, okay, and I'm playing next to Luka. I'm a second-side attacker. I'm a spot-up shooter. Then I, it's my time. I cook. So it's the same with Jalen. So I think that dynamic with Kyrie... It's logical, and we see growing pains, especially in the end of the games. But overall, like you said, it's a positive segment. <laughs> so I think they're killing it still in offense. So uh, I think last uh, data is like they're scoring where these two are together, and now it's like 250 possessions, 128 points per 100 possession. So this is like 99%, still best in the NBA. Yeah. Even Pacers game, we saw Kyrie didn't have the best night, but they scored 122. Yeah, still. So... Typically in the NBA, you should be able to win <laughs> if you score 122. <laughs> this is not a typical team that we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> so I think the offense is going to be fine. It is fine, especially with these two. Dallas is still top. We, we said it in the first segment. Best half for offense, I think, overall sixth. And I think these two will get better. Now, the real challenge is, is can they improve the defense at least a bit? If not, these two guys will need to figure out even better ways and score, I don't know, 130 points to beat, yeah. <laughs> to beat anybody, which yeah. is tough in the playoffs. Against good defenses, I think that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, and for, for a very long time, this is going all the way back to Lucas rookie season. I mean, whenever the Mavs made all the roster moves that they did that year, the whole plan with Luka or the whole like organizational goal with Luka is to have him on the floor with a bunch of guys that are six foot seven and can yeah. guard multiple positions. Um, you know, Jalen got really good basically overnight last season. And so all of a sudden now it's like, well, let's get a bunch of six, seven guys mm -hmm. around Luca and Jalen. Uh, and now you have it with Luca and Kyrie where those two players, no matter how much they interact with each other on the court mm -hmm. in terms of like pick and rolls and all that mm -hmm. stuff, that doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're both so good at scoring from any situation that you don't need super plus, super dynamic offensive players yeah. around. You need guys that can make simple yeah. plays, guys that can make shots, open shots, yeah. um, but you don't need that as much as you need yeah. super good defenders. Yeah. So like with Luke and Kyrie, you kind of have solved the yeah. offense. Uh, it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. Um, what you just need is guys that can do it at the yeah. other end. And again, maybe you're talking, for, but it's a hot topic about, let's say, the role of Christian Woods too much. Yeah, I think that's the point that you made is great. His best value is more offense, and the offense is really good already. Yeah. So what you need is like spot-up shooting and close-out defensive versatility. And just one, uh, because I, I was tweeting recently about this, so the Mavericks, with Luca only, have been always creating tons of corner frees. I think they lead this year. Let me check the data. Yeah, they lead the NBA at 13%. 14% of all shots are corner free. Second is Boston at 11 and this 13% is NBA highest ever, by far. I think even by best than the Houston teams with Harden and Chris Paul, which was like really good offenses. Now, with Kyrie and Luka, this 13% jumps to 15.4. Oh my God. So basically, <laughs> this means that they're... Like one out of every yeah, seven shots. So this taking. means they're breaking, up, breaking down the defenses a lot, yeah? So having a... Jo Josh Green in the corner, having Reggie Bullock, which is now New Year Reggie. Yeah. So maybe Justin Holiday, if he can hit the shots. Tim Hardaway Jr., he's a great spot-up shooter. 
So they will create good looks, yeah? Um, and figuring everything else behind that, I think, uh, is the challenge. Um, so we'll see. And then end of game situations, I think Luca will need to adapt a little bit. They will need to play him a little bit off ball, although now it looks sometimes frustrating. But we saw in small samples that I don't. I was sharing this data on Twitter as well last week. Is how many spot up play types. This means Luca is catching the ball on the go or against closeout. It's increasing since Kyrie got. So this is a good sign. Uh, but I think it's it will take a while. It will take a while to to build that chemistry. Unfortunately, there is not <laughs> that much time <laughs> to figure that. it out. So they will need to speed that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> I I would say luckily. They have a very easy schedule, but they haven't necessarily been able to take <laughs> advantage of that so far. Um, yeah, this, they play the Spurs twice more, so that will help. And the help. Hornets twice more, so yeah, maybe. Exactly. But, you know, speak. <laughs> you could be brave now, but when it comes time to win those games, I'm going to be just, like, crossing my fingers. Yes. Um, it also makes sense if, if, the, if the plan, and whether you agree with it or not is up to you. I'm not trying to, like, con convince you that this is the right way or whatever. I'm just telling you what the, what the team thinks. Um, if the goal is to just surround Kyrie and Luka with defense, right? Everything else falls into place. Wood off the bench, Tim off the bench. And I think that works for both of those guys better too because off the bench, the Mavs don't really have a backup point guard. Their second unit is run by either Kyrie or Luka, one of them, while the other guy's resting. So if you have Kyrie or Luka, and then you have Tim and Wood, and let's say Maxi, and then either Green or Holiday or Morris or Frank or whoever the, the fifth guy is, um, Wood and Hardaway have a lot more freedom to kind of like get their game off, you know? Yeah. And they can they can sort of like hunt for shots there. But whenever it's Kyrie and Luka, pretty much every shot is either going to be lob dunk, corner three, yeah. or Kyrie or Luka creating but, something. And these are the challenges and the opportunities that they need to figure out still. So what we see, the positive thing is in Luca typical rotation pattern. So he plays first quarter and then the full first quarter and the full uh, four, uh, third. But then the beginning on the second and the fourth are typically Kyrie minutes. So they were losing these minutes big time early in their season. And now, especially Tim Hardy Jr. had some hot shooting stretches. So they were like killing it in those minutes mostly. Um, and it's partially what you say. So you put Kyrie, you pair him with Tim Hardy Jr. You pair him with uh, with Christian Wood. is like a very good offensive unit. But there, it's, there are also some challenges. So I think there is even less shots for Kyrie then. Maybe this is something, the dynamic, that they need to figure it out. Maybe get Kyrie some early shots in the Luka minutes or going more to him in these non-Luka minutes uh, because he started very hot, but then had the last few games or uh, was a little bit slower. But I think it's the key to get him going. I think he's the second most important player and he can do, especially in the playoffs, he's the guy that you need on the floor. Merricks have two of the top eight best self-creating scorers, best isolation players on the team uh, in the NBA. So this is the card that they will need to play every time in the playoffs, I mean. Yeah, and they're scoring, to be very clear here, generally isolation scoring is pretty inefficient. Yeah. Right, because it's going to be a tough shot, sometimes a mid-range shot, heavily contested three or whatever. Uh, Luka and Kyrie score so well in isolation. They score more efficiently one-on-one -on -one than like some teams do on fast breaks. Yeah. Like <laughs> It and, is unbelievable. And this changes. This whole mathematics, what is efficient and not uh, what is inefficient, changes in the playoffs because you don't have so much transition people 
more focus, rebounding, so less cuts, less actions. So importance of having this isolation capability is really jumps a notch. Yeah, and we saw last important. year with Jalen and Luca, that was the base of their offense, and the offense was good. Yeah. Again, we are coming back to the defense. Can they survive with them? With Kyrie in the lineup instead of Spencer Dimity and no Dodo, they lost some of the size, so that the challenge to survive there will be even bigger. Yeah, yeah going back to what you said about Kyrie, like with Tim and Wood, there might be fewer shots with him there as well. I did notice that when Denwood, he was still here, kind of doing that same thing, like being spot-up guy with Luca versus the lead guy on the second unit. He kind of would go from like spot-up shooter to almost like facilitator. Yeah. Like there was never really a moment for him to truly kind of try and take over a game uh, unless Luca was out, you know, and then he would get a ton of shots with the starters. And so it is sort of weird. Like if you do structure your rotation such that if you're starting, you need to take a lot of shots because it's, it's all like spot-up guys and supporting players around you. Versus if all of your more dynamic scores are coming off the bench, then you got to yeah. feed them too. It is it is really tough. Yeah. Like it's it's a very tricky thing to figure out. Yeah, and I think it's also on the Luca Kyrie minutes. We talked about this in the Take That pod with Demaris and Followill, which you can listen to on the Mavs YouTube channel. Yes, nice, nicely done. Yeah, so I think I'm watching closely some of the end of game possessions or some of the Luca Kyrie possessions. And you see that they are developing some of this. So they were throw the, the ball in the post to Luca, and Kyrie would be the first one, the only guy on that side of the floor. So like one pass pass away guy who can then attack, and that is very difficult to defend. So having Luca post up because he's in the Indiana game, he was like torturing every defender that they threw him because they were all just too small. And then if you double, you throw it to Kyrie in the rotation. And so Kyrie either has a drive, either create a corner three because he's very good at moving it. So I think for Luca and for Kyrie, this is a learning process. Uh, Luca will need to adapt a little bit, but also I think for Kyrie to see, okay, these are my opportunities. So I need to be sometimes more aggressive and take my shots because I think he's really gone out of his way to try to be really, like you said, win so, try to win so much here. So he's moving the ball, he's trying to be unselfish. Uh, but I think sometimes Dallas needs to be more selfish in those situations. Yeah, sometimes you got to get yours, man. Sometimes you got to get yours. One last thing that I really want to see from them, and I know that Luca is more of like a, more of like a creator, an artist. Like he wants to like paint pictures every mm -hmm. time down the floor. Uh, he's not really into set plays. <laughs> I've noticed. Um, but any type of whether it's improv or, mm -hmm. you know, designed. Dribble handoffs between those two guys, yeah. I think it's super, super valuable. If Luca's running a dribble handoff for Kyrie, he's just got so much room to do something. And likewise, if Kyrie is the guy that's handing the ball to Luca, Luca's going to be able to turn the corner and catch on the move, and which is so much more effective for him because he doesn't have to break his man down. He can just catch and go. And and if, if you can try and find a way to orchestrate more of those, I think that's really good. But talk. we only have 50 seconds left. Give me one thing you're looking for over the next, let's say, week? What should fans really think about on the floor? Just one thing. Yeah, I think the thing is what we were talking about the whole segment, yeah, is can they make it a semi-competent defense? So can they go from <laughs> 22, 23 ranking to, I don't know, between 15 to 20? Because with Kyrie and Luca on the floor, it means they have a chance, yeah? Every time they have a chance. And like you said, I think some of the rotations, Jake me. I think some of the changes going to more focus, to more wings, like with Holiday, with Bullock, with Green, now with Maxi. 
are showing they want to do that. Now let's hope they figure it out. And I think just enjoy. I mean, enjoy watching Kyrie play. It's been amazing to me because he's like really sounds so much fun to watch. So I think last 20 something games or a little bit less, just watching these two guys create, like you said, scoring 130 points almost <laughs> per possession. Hopefully they don't pick it up of the basket on the other side every time. Yeah. Just give yourself a chance, man. Just give yourself a chance. That's all we ask. And that's all that we deserve. It's just a just a chance. All right, Iztalk, thank you so much for joining. If you're interested, Iztalk underscore Franco on Twitter. Yeah. You probably already follow him. If you don't, you should. D Magazine. And, man, you've been making the media rounds this week. So you can find him anywhere in Dallas, basically. You'll find his work. Uh, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for reminding me. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is going to be it for us. But don't go anywhere. It's coming up next. It's going to be the corner three. That will do it for us today on Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks. We'll see you next time.